0: Hello, Finn Maniacs listeners around the world, and especially here in Miami. I hope you guys had a great weekend and you guys really enjoyed watching the senior bow. Uh, the national team won 27 to 24, which was spearheaded by the Miami Dolphins organization and Brian Flores coaching. And there was some breaking news coming out today that the Dolphins hired an offensive coordinator. Now, I may be misleading that, as it's actually two offensive coordinators that they hired. They hired Eric Studsville, and they also hired George Gotze. This is basically a promotion of uh, the quarterbacks and the running backs coach, and they will be co-coordinating the offensive side of the ball. Now, we do not know who will be the essential play caller for it, but it is breaking news, and it's very unconventional as well. Uh, Brian Flores himself is already an unconventional coach as his time in New England. He was the de facto defensive coordinator and also called plays along with Bill Belichick as a linebacker's coach. So, in short, if it works for the defense in New England and in Miami as well, as they had different position coaches coaching different parts uh, throughout the game, specifically on third down and red zone, why would it not be able to work on the offense? And furthermore, we'll have another pot on that with the offensive corners but today we're here to recap the senior bowl with a special guest from local station wplg abc affiliate clay ferrero clay how you doing my bud
1: i am doing great we picked a good day with this uh with this breaking news i'm glad you brought up the point about brian flores doing that uh in new england with bill belichick and and you know i i think some of the the stuff you've seen today from people who may be a little skeptical are kind of pointing out, oh, well, if you have two captains, you really have none. And yet, I, I think that's a that's a good case study where where it certainly can work. So I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's actually been studies, um, not studies, I should say, but actual historically previously in 2019, with the San Francisco 49ers, uh, you had the offensive uh, quarterback coach and the offensive running back coach. Um, putting their input for the game plan and calling plays along with Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, calling plays. Um, Brian Flores is actually a defensive-minded coach, not an offensive-minded coach, so I really don't think he'll be calling the offensive plays. So it's going to be interesting to see, are they going to hire another person? Is it just going to be those two coaches calling the plays either for the first half or the second half, or maybe one coach calls a pass play one coach calls a run play? Who knows? It's very, very early in this offseason, and You know, draft season is here. The senior bowl is here. I mean, Clay, we have to talk about the offensive explosion shown by the national team squad. I want to know who you saw who really boosted the draft stock during the senior bowl.
1: I mean, it's hard not to say Michael Carter, right? And and now I I think... (laughs) <laughs> we have plenty of hurricanes fans around here though that didn't have to see that right and uh, they, they uh, unfortunately saw it in the game um, but you know that was a big one to me uh, Mac Jones and I know this is kind of easy to say because plenty was was coming out about him um, and and yet I, I think when you have somebody go into a setting like that compete as hard as he did and and. and and then you just have to go back to last year and someone like Justin Herbert, who did so similarly and obviously much different prospects. Um, but I, I think that you you can't help but come away and hear about the things that that he did at practice that, uh, you know, just just kind of blew you away. And then obviously some of the line prospects that you're hearing. But I love hearing these small school guys that that go out there and ball out. And, Quinn
0: Miners, and, my yeah, boy.
1: I mean, that's that's probably the one that jumped out to me the most. And, you know, there's – I just think there's something to be said for getting them in that setting and seeing, especially the small school guys, how they compete against players who played against much higher levels of competition throughout their college careers, because that's the biggest question about these small school prospects is what will they do once it takes a step up in competition? You want to see them on tape dominating the smaller school competition, but how do they do when they go up against the the higher quality of players? And I thought you really saw that. you know, I, I'll say this, and, and this is somewhat unrelated to your question, but, you know, if you're talking about stock, I, I feel like if you're a Dolphins fan right now, and if you're anyone around the league, and, and you saw the Miami Dolphins coaching staff coming off a, a very, very good season, but also a very trying season, as many teams had to go through, the fact that Brian Flores and his staff jumped at the opportunity to do this when so many other coaching staffs passed on it, and understandably so, you understand that a lot of these coaches needed a break and and probably needed to spend some time with their families, and you get that. But I just I, I think that, that if anybody in this entire process had their stock jump more than anyone else, it wasn't a prospect. It was Brian Flores and his coaching staff. I think everybody really sees what this group is about. And if you're a Dolphins fan, it's kind of been hammered home that you have the hardest working, working coaching staff in the NFL.
0: And that speaks a lot to the Dolphins organization as a whole because, listen, they have this entire crop of picks stemming from the Laramie Tunsil trade. You know, they have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and, you know, there's the whole Deshaun Watson thing, which we will not touch today at all. So it could be an extra pick. Who knows? But they're building towards the future. This is an entire organizational change stemming from last year. So they are – this is basically – in business, as we say, a competitive advantage against their competition to take a look at who are the candidates they could basically draft and be a part of their organization. He specifically talked about Quinn Miners. I I really, really like him as an offensive guard and a center. I mean – Unfortunately, he was not able to play due to a hand injury, but he did have a really, really solid practice, solid one-on-ones. His pass protection sets were good, which was a concern with small school prospects. His run blocking was already great, and he locked up defending linemen. I mean, he shut down the quality of competition concerns as well. And another thing that rose up to me was that even though he was injured, he had a bit of a skerfuffle with Brian <laughs> Flores, he really wanted to play, and that for me, he rises from a day three prospect to a potential day two, and he made himself a little bit of cha
1: Cheng. I'm glad you brought that because I was going to go there next. And I, if you're a coach, you don't mind that kind of of headbutting, right? Like you, you would rather have a player who wants to be out there, and you have to save him from himself in many ways. And, you know, and, and I have no clue how the Dolphins are going to approach this draft, and and my, my belief is in many ways they're in a rare position where they can hit this for more of a needs-based draft. Normally you always say, you know, take the best player available. You're never going to go wrong taking the best player available, et cetera, et cetera. And yet I, I think with – given what this Dolphins team needs, I, I think – BPA is oftentimes going to meet what they're going to need as well. So You're exactly know, right. So I don't know where they're going to have minors rated, but, you know, hearing that he, he had a kerfuffle, whatever you want to call it with Brian Flores. I, I read that as more as something that Brian Flores would use to pound the table to draft him as opposed to, you know, being turned off by him. And uh, you want that type of toughness. You want that type of competitive edge. Um, and I, You know, the game is one thing, and I'm sure this is something that that Brian Flores probably told minors during the course of this. The game compared to the week of practice is so insignificant. Um, You know, you want to see how they perform in the game. You want to see that they're going to go out there and, and transfer what they learned on the practice field that week into the game. But they want to see how you react to the coaching during the week. They want to see what your attitude is. They want to see, you know, what can you do in a a phone booth versus in – they're going to put you through the types of drills and things that are going to tell them what they need to know about you as a prospect. Um, So I I just – I'm curious to see, like, you are – where Miners ends up going, and if maybe he ends up going a little bit higher if the Dolphins decide, hey, we love this guy and we love his attitude um, because of what he did in that scenario. Yeah,
0: that's right. And you certainly see, and again, that's a current competitive advantage. You see how they react to a different type of environment, how they react to a different type of coaching, you know, NFL rules, NFL level, NFL level prospects. And you get to see them real in game time and practice situations, you know, something that might not be shown on tape. These are some of the intangibles. Uh, when we're talking about stock up as well, there's obviously another side of the ball called the defense, and defense <laughs> wins championships. I want to get your take on who you saw or, like, a star player that stood out during uh, practice and what you've read and heard. And You know what's it?
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting was, um, and and uh, I'm blanking on the name, but I I love somebody who I love coming into this, and I'm glad that he showed out well was Boogie Basham. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's some question marks about him as far as okay, is the explosiveness going to be there? Is he is his does his athleticism match up with what you want to see at the NFL level? Or if but his remember- motor is
0: consistent.
1: Right, right. And I know we're going to talk about my, my background coming up a little bit later. But, you know, he was somebody who, coming out of Virginia, like, I mean, it, it was a missed evaluation by the Virginia Tech coaching staff. And and I he ended up going to Wake Forest, and he never let them forget about it. He and, balled and out. He made, yeah. He, he made their lives miserable. And so, you know, the, a concern I have about him a little bit is that he did struggle when he went up against Clemson. And there were times when he went up against better tackles that they were able to kind of hold him at bay. Um, so I was happy to see him play better against the better competition during the week of practice at the Senior Bowl. Um, you know, somebody else I will really, and, – and again, blank on the name, the, the two-lane pass rusher. Cam Sample. Cam Sample, yes, yes. He's somebody who – what, a little undersized. Um, and yet I think what we're starting to see more and more is some of these – Guys who may be viewed as a little bit of, of maybe undersized, and 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 the projection is a little bit different. Just get them out there on the field and and try to figure out what they do. And um, you know, my in addition to being from Virginia, I uh, I was born in Louisiana, and so follow the Saints a little bit. And you know, Trey Hendrickson was somebody for them from, from SAU, FAU. yeah, who this year just exploded. And you know, I, I'm not saying that he's he's the next, uh, you know elite pass rusher in the league at 13 and a half sacks, you can find a place for somebody who may be a little undersized and is able to get after the quarterback on on passing down. So uh, those were the two guys that stood out to me a bit. Um, And that's just off the top of my head, because I I think you and I probably both were looking a lot at the offensive side, and and those names jumped out to me um, over the
0: course of the week. Yeah, you speak about undersized players, especially on defense. There's actually – Um, set pieces and basically, you know, situations where, you know, you have them on the field, either on second down passing situations, maybe even run blocking as well. And certainly Cam Sample, he could be that third down pass rusher guy that, you know, even though he might be undersized, he can beat you with speed. And that's exactly what he did in the second half, chasing uh, Notre Dame uh, quarterback Ian Book out of bounds to force a punt. And that's exactly what teams are looking for. You know, are they able to make the plays to get the opposition off of the field but there was another guy who people might not be looking at per se because of the depth the Dolphins already have at the position but we're looking at former Buckeye linebacker Baron Browning uh he Mm. was he was consistently winning in the run game winning in the box he was covering as well and you know he was you know he was a good pass rusher as well even though he didn't really you know get to the quarterback he was able to get some pressure and you know have the quarterback make some errand throws, even though he's 240 pounds or uh, more than that, he can still run, and he can still cover, and he showed really, really great fluidity in space. And that's the kind of player that fits the mold for this Brian Flores type of defense.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, and and specifically for the fit with the Dolphins, I, I think that's a that's a great a great comparison or a great example because. And let's go back, and this is a different position, but, you know, the whole Minka Fitzpatrick situation. um, Oh, man, that's bringing
0: a lot of PTSD, man.
1: (laughs) But, but you know, you have to look at how – it's one of those rare situations where I think it probably worked out for everybody involved, as well as he played in Pittsburgh. And I understand you're probably watching that from a Dolphins perspective, like, man, he could do that here. But the fact is he didn't want to do that here. And so if when you bring guys into your program that – you can kind of groom and mold how you want that type of versatility that, that he showed in the senior bowl, I think could be enormous. And, you know, we, we don't know which direction they're going to choose to go with this draft, but, you know, I think, and, and again, we're presuming at this point that they're not going to make that deal for Watson and they're going to have this plethora of picks. You can take a chance on a player like that. And I say take a chance just because some may use. If, if you have a more locked-in scheme where you're, you lack flexibility in how you want players to do a certain thing, then you, you kind of have to stick with certain templates, right? Right. Whereas in this situation, I, I think you can kind of look at somebody like him and say, okay, let's take a chance on him because we saw his flexibility. Let's get him here. Maybe he's better maybe he's better at going from the outside, right? Maybe you put mm-hmm. him in the outside linebacker spot and let him rush the passer a bit more. Yeah. Um, or maybe he grows a little bit, puts on some more size, and maybe he turns out to be really, really good at fighting through, through the wash, and he's a good inside guy. I just think that that's the type of player that if you can get that experience working with them – and you see that versatility, then you're exactly right. Brian Flores' defense is tailor-made for somebody who has that type of flexibility.
0: And that's right. We saw the switch from from nickelback to safety with uh, Bobby McCain. He was able yep. to play that position. You also have Brandon Jones, who was drafted last year in the third round. Uh, he wasn't able to, you know, practice or do the pro day or his common because he was injured. But he had his intellects and he had the intangibles to be kind of like, you know, a versatile safety that could play in the deep end and could be as an off ball linebacker in the dime set as well. So that really speaks to the type of defense the Miami Dolphins are running. Now, switching on over from Baron Browning to another Buckeye linebacker, Tough Borland, with any good play, you always have bad play. <laughs> and we're shifting to stock down here on defense. <laughs> Tough Borland, you know, as good as he was at Ohio State, he has physical limitations, and unfortunately, in today's NFL, he's not a modern-day linebacker. You know, if you put him maybe in the 80s or 90s, when I wasn't born or alive to see those type of linebacker play, maybe you know he'd be a lock for a second or third round. But he really struggled to cover and didn't really do in the practice drills. against the running backs, and he does not really have that sideline-to-sideline range in today's NFL. And, Clay, I want to get your thoughts on who you saw that, you know, was a bit of a letdown uh, at the Senior Bowl on defense.
1: Well, I I think what you're saying is that uh, my man Khalil Herbert ended tough Borland. Yeah, that block on him, right? Because yeah. I mean, Herbert, somebody like his, his pass blocking is is one of the big knocks against him. And That's I right. think what he did to tough Borland probably raised him. because. And look, part of that is certainly that that Borland struggled, and and I understand that. And yet, when you have a running back who has the questions about whether or not he can block, showing that type of want to that he did after struggling the previous day in pass pro, I, I think you know, and we're going to talk about Herbert more later on, but I, I think that that was kind of one of those where that may have risen uh, Herbert's stock a little bit while probably knocking down Borland's stock a little bit. Um, I really looked at, at some of the other quarterbacks and, and somebody who Ian book was someone who I, I, uh, you know, I I think unfortunately in that setting, you want to see if somebody can do something they didn't show in college. And, and it's and Book was given every opportunity to try to throw the ball down the field. Um, and when it got to a certain point, it, it just seemed to kind of spray on him a bit. Yeah. Um, Book's and, not really so, a deep
0: thrower. You know, at right. Notre Dame, he's more of a play action, check down kind of guy, West Coast type yes. Of scheme.
1: Yes. And so what, what your questions are, okay, is it that he just didn't do it or is it that he can't do it? And then when you see him in that setting and he's given the opportunity and it, it doesn't look good – Um, then you you start to maybe lean towards Kant. And and that's where I I think he was probably one of the losers of the week. Um, Jamie Newman was somebody that I was really intrigued to see. I I think he had a really good first day. And then I – or some people said he had a really good first day. Some people said that it was a mixed first day where he got better as it went on. And then it seemed as though as the week went on, he regressed a little bit. And I feel like for somebody who sat out the 2020 season – that's kind of tough, um, and you you probably you probably had to have a better showing than that. And who knows, maybe that allows him to, to be a late round pick to somebody where you can go and develop. And yet, um, I, I thought he could have played his way into a much better position, and I don't think he did. Um, you know, and and so I, as far as stock down guys, um, those are probably the ones that stuck out stood out to me just because. Quarterbacks are the ones that I think you can with your with your naked eye kind of look at and say, okay, that guy is showing me something. That guy is not. Yeah. And and those were the two I that test. jumped up to me. Right. 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 And so we since we're not there, right? This isn't this isn't like the past where mobile or at least I was. It. I mean, this isn't like the past where a lot of people were, would go and you know you could kind of get a feel from talking to the coaches. Okay, uh, are you are you trying to work on this guy's deficiencies, whatever? Um, I just – those were – the quarterbacks were just easier for me to kind of judge based on what we saw on television.
0: Yeah, and especially they're the ones who 99% of the time are holding the ball or giving the ball to somebody else and making those type of plays. You talk about a tough day. You know, it was certainly tough for Jamie Newman. It was tough for Ian Book. It was tough, no pun intended, for tough Borland. (laughs) But it was also for Alabama guard Deontay Brown. There was a lot of hype around him and he was you know a day two day three kind of guy and many labeled him as the perfect offensive lineman at alabama you know he's he's a big guy 360 pounds i mean yeah with the 360 pound lineman you got to be concerned why is he 360 p- 60 pounds does he really need to be 360 pounds you know what kind of limitations does he have and you know he had a quiet practice but he got beat a lot during drills, And he didn't do that well in the game. He was way too big and way too oversized to play athletically in the scheme he was in. Maybe he could be, you know, a plug-and-play kind of guy for a power-running scheme like the Ravens or maybe as a backup offensive lineman. But I don't see any way where he would be drafted in the fifth or sixth round. Maybe seven toward the back end. Maybe undrafted. But who knows? We'll see. Now, speaking of the draft, there are a couple of former, you know, Hokie alumni like you, Clay. And you got to tell me, you know, you went to Virginia Tech during its heyday around the uh, late 90s, early 2000s period. What was it like being a college student watching the
1: games? It was amazing. And, and you know, I, I mentioned I was born in Louisiana, and so I grew up an LSU fan and uh go tigers yeah yeah and so I I went my family moved to Virginia and went to Virginia Tech because all my friends did and uh you know the old school the reason they tell you don't don't go to school because your friends do well that's what I did um (laughs) so so I get there and like I'm still following all the LSU stuff and like I I really enjoy and we start hearing and this was my first year on campus we start hearing about spring ball and we start hearing about this this quarterback who had been redshirted the previous year because, you know, they, they had a decent quarterback room. Al Clark was a, a good quarterback there in 98. Um, and they had a couple of backups that were decent and you started hearing, no, you guys don't understand. There's this, there's this left-handed redshirt guy that uh, Frank Beamer believes is going to revolutionize the position. We're like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, So then, you know, we all get our—we got student season tickets back then, where you just pay an extra five bucks and you could sit with your buddies for the whole year. Five, and we're sitting there. Wow! And the first, well, it was free otherwise, so you just pay the extra five bucks just to guarantee the same seat. Otherwise, you have to wait in line, whatever. Um, Five bucks for us, man—that's like that's like eight packs of ramen noodles. So that was yeah, that was big money. Probably more than that actually. Back then, it was like fifty. Packs of ramen noodles. I'm old, um, <laughs> but so JMU game. We get there and we see this this guy warming up, number seven, flicking it with his left hand, and like uh, he he just flicked it and it went seventy yards. Like what in the world? And then we start seeing him running around and and making this – understand it was JMU, but making them look like a middle school team. Uh, uh-huh. And he ended up running for three touchdowns that day. I'll never forget the last touchdown. He jumped from the three-yard line, dove over a JMU player, flipped in midair. Helicopter actually, style.
0: He flipped, Elway yeah, style.
1: He flipped forward, and, and he ended up landing on his – there's video of this. He ended up landing on his ankle and, like, twisting his ankle – and it actually ended up plaguing him the rest of the year. He oh, did all that man. the rest of the year on a on a bum ankle because he flipped over this guy. But we were sitting like our jaws were wide open looking at each other like what are we watching here? And it was it was the the beginning of of Michael Vick and it was, you know, I say I brought up my LSU background because by the time Virginia Tech played LSU in 2002, it, and I actually came back for for that ball game, it was my first year um, out of college. I just remember vividly, like thinking, "Man, what am I going to have mixed emotions, whatever?" And then you get to the game, and like your your heart ends up bleeding where you went to school. Yeah. And I, it was at that moment I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll always have a special place in my heart for LSU, but you know. Virginia Tech is is it and and it was it for me because of that experience there where, um, you know, if when you live and breathe on a campus that and in a town that lives and dies by the football program. Oh man! And and you're talking about hey businesses that and they're struggling right now by the way because of the pandemic this past year not not having fans being able to come into Blacksburg for games businesses live and die by by how the football program is doing and and whether uh, they're able to have fans or whether the team is good and people want to go out and celebrate after games like it's it's not an exaggeration to say the lifeblood of that town in many ways is the football team and so there's just a passion and an appreciation there for it that um just kind of grows on so um all that to say I love them. I will always love them, no matter how how much they they drive me nuts right now and they really are based <laughs> on how they're playing. Um, it was really – in my ability to kind of cover those Virginia Tech uh, – those Michael Vick-era Virginia Tech teams. it was kind of my gateway into doing this for a living because you got to experience things that you wouldn't have gotten to experience. We had ESPN on our campus three times that year. You got to meet people. Shelly Smith was great. I remember meeting um, – the game day guys. Oh and
0: man, that's a dream.
1: It, and it's it's just like I, I don't know I've always had a passion for this. I don't know that I would have known what it took to get into this had I not had that experience. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was cool. It was great, and and it's something I'll never forget.
0: Man, you got to watch a future Hall of Famer in yep. Michael Vick in college. Yep. Not many people can say. You've done that. You talk about this passion. I got to ask you, man. Enter Sandman is probably one of the most glorious entrance songs in college football history. It's certainly top five. I hear you got a fun story about that. (laughs) Tell me, man.
1: So the first time they ever played it, and this was actually my... Second year, my third year there, I'm sorry, because my first year there was actually 98. I was there for Al Clark and then my second year. Or so uh, just to clarify that my third year there was the first time they actually played enter Sandman. But we had no clue that it was coming. And it was before their first scheduled game in 2000 against Georgia Tech. It was one of these it was before Virginia Tech had gone to the ACC. So it was one of these kind of preseason kickoff classic sort of games that have become so so famous now. Um, and I remember I had a friend of mine who was a Georgia Tech fan who I got a ticket to the game. And so he was sitting with us in the student section, and they start playing Metallica's Enter Sandman. And none of us had ever, like all of us start looking around, and they start playing it. But then they they start putting the highlights from the previous uh-huh. national championship run season on the Jumbotron. And we're looking around, and it's like mixed in with the radio calls of Michael Vick flipping into the end zone, Corey Moore's strip sack and, and scoop and score against Clemson, and like all these memories that we all had from the previous – by the end of the song the entire oh, place has erupted and like, nostalgia,
0: right there I, can, I and, could I can feel that feeling inside and my buddy, myself
1: my buddy who's a Georgia Tech fan turns to me and he goes yeah I've just come to the conclusion there's no way in belief that Georgia Tech is gonna win this game because <laughs> like he he looked around he was like he was cocky talking all sorts of you know what the whole way leading up to the game. because they had um uh oh man uh, Reggie oh what was the name of the quarterback it was so good for Georgia Tech but I forget he was fantastic as a freshman. Anyway, um, and a really good quarterback. And this was a couple of years before Calvin Johnson got there. But so he was talking all sorts of stuff. Our quarterback is the next Michael Vick, this, 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 and this. And, uh, and, and he's based on that, he Reggie said, Ball. Reggie Ball, thank you. Yes. And he turns to me and he goes, there's no way we're going to win this game. And I'm telling you, not three minutes later, lightning erupts. No Like, way. I mean, crazy. And they say, "All right, you have to go. Everybody, please make your way to the exits. We're going to wait out this rain delay. So we all go under the the uh, the rafters and just kind of try to wait out the the lightning, the thunderstorm. And sure enough, they end up canceling the game. Ah. So the game, the first time under Sandman was played, the game was never actually played. They never made up that game, but." One of the crazy things that's come out of that was Lee Corso, because game day was there that day. Mm -hmm. Lee Corso picked Georgia Tech to beat Virginia Tech in that game.
0: Did he wear the little helmet thing too? He did.
1: Lightning struck his rental car. Lightning struck his rental car, and there's actually video of the bolt that hits his – I'll have to send you the picture. There's video of the lightning bolt that you can see hitting in the parking lot. The whole sky is lit up. So, after the next weekend, they're joking with Lee Corso on game day about it. And he said, yeah, uh, I don't know what a hokey is, but I know God is a hokey. I'm never picking against Virginia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, there's actually a t-shirt with that quote. It says, I don't know what a hokey is, but I know God is one. And it's, it, it's a Lee Corso quote. So, you know, I... I so I'm reminiscing here, but all that to say, and I'm, I'm sorry I took off so much of your pod talking. About, uh, but
0: it's, fu- it's perfectly fine.
1: It's, it's, it's like, and I'm sure like if you're a Canes fan, if you're a Gator, if you're a Seminole, like you'll have similar stories and, and maybe not, maybe not quite the same sort of individualized, story, but you'll have things that you look back on that you're like, you know what? That's the moment that I realized I, I will always be a Knoll, I will always be a Cane, I will always be a Gator. Um, you're forgetting you know, so about that just... for you Panthers,
0: man. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: Yes. Hey, look, I'm man. a Panther grad. Yeah. I mean, look, I, how many people were in the in Marlins Park for when they beat the Canes last oh, year? Oh,
0: yeah, dude. I was like, so, oh, my God, the little I'm, brother. I'm
1: glad you brought that up. And, and so, like, you can look back at the moment where you were in the stands or you were with your buddies at a frat house or you were at a party or, you know, I, I – another one was I, I remember – uh we were watching uh my first year virginia tech lose to donovan McNabb, and and donovan McNabb is vomiting in his helmet on the final drive and he he throws a touchdown pass over the head of a linebacker michael michael hawks that was in our apartment complex and one of my buddies got so mad he jumped up and he smacked his head on on top of uh of this little futon, you end up getting a concussion. Uh Like, we'll just, well, everybody has like these stories that you'll remember that like, kind of crystallize your experience. So, uh, so anyway, thanks for, thanks for letting me go off on a rant. Uh
0: You know, I I reminisce too, because my very first football game was actually um, at a FIU Panthers game. It was my very first football game with my family. And it was through the honors college where I was on the field during halftime. We're just walking out, walking around, going around. And I never knew this before, you know, I didn't really pay attention at orientation my freshman year, but I realized our pregame intro was Thunderstruck by ACDC yeah. and the entire time, you know, when it was playing, you would just jump up and down in the cage, that's what they call the stadium, in that's the cool. cage, and yeah. it was just absolutely amazing, and you know, FYU won that game and destroyed University of Texas San Antonio, so it was it was just a fun game. Now. After reminiscing, we have to look towards the future, towards the NFL draft. As a Hokey, we have our very own from Broward County itself, Khalil Herbert. Yeah, what's his status looking like? You know, what is he good at, and what is he looking to improve as he goes through this process?
1: So he's one of those guys who's just a great football player. Um, and you know, I, I I hate using that generalization, but he's also one of those guys. That, like you're not you're not going to want to look at his measurables because I don't care what he does out there in underwear. I, I care what he does when he's got a helmet on, when he's got pads on, and when he's making guys look silly. And, and when he's healthy, he had a hamstring issue this year that, uh, you know, I don't think Canes fans saw him at full strength when they played Miami. But, man, when he was he was at his best, he's and, – and, look, this is saying a lot for a Virginia Tech grad. He's the best running back that we had at Tech probably since Ryan Williams and and that's including David Wilson, who was a first round pick, who that's, a pick. That's, Her- that's a pretty Herbert big statement
0: man. That's a pretty big statement.
1: And I love David Wilson, but he Herbert's vision, his feel for the position, his ability to get angles. Uh, Wilson was a physical freak and and was super smart when it came to uh, when it came to, to, to the game, and yet, I don't know that he had the natural knack for playing the running back position that Herbert does, where, like, you just see him find ways to get angles and guys that he's supposedly slower than, like, he's gaining separation on them. Uh, he He's great at reading blocks, just everything pass about pro. the position. N- now, he has to get better in pass pro. Um, and and I, I don't know, I think that's more a function of he wasn't really asked to do a whole lot of that at Tech. A lot of what Tech did was, um, you know, one read and and then go stuff for the quarterback. Right. It wasn't – it certainly wasn't anywhere near a pro-style offense, and that's been a – you know, it, 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 Tech fans aren't in love with, with the offense that, that Tech runs. Um, but I think the thing with Herbert is he, he's a guy that I think you can put out there tomorrow and he can run the football for you and he can he can get you the tough yards and then if he gets a step guys guys aren't going to catch him easily and obviously you're going into a league with bigger bigger faster stronger guys but don't get stuck on his workout times watch the film watch the, watch what he can do with the ball in his hands yeah
0: if you're looking at his 40 time let me tell you it's not going to be that impressive but what he does is it's not his speed it is his decision making specifically you know how he bursts out of the hold and how he sets up you know the defensive players in spate which his with his smart cuts in addition to you know his quick burst right off the line of scrimmage as well you know as he goes to the NFL you know he might might not necessarily be a starting running back during his first few games he would need to get those additional reps in pass protection and as a catching running back as well so if he learns a little bit more about that and you know really improves his rookie year I think he could be a mainstay in this league
1: what's funny with him is you know he was a transfer from Kansas and he was we'll talk about this a bit as this goes on but tech fans are really really down on the program largely because of their recruiting and you know you you hear what's okay great we're getting a guy to come in transfer from Kansas great that worked out really well with Ryan Willis the quarterback lovely um so it's like why why can't we recruit anywhere that's not why can't we get a transfer portal guy from somewhere other than Kansas? And then he goes out there the the first game and it's oh this guy's different. Um and so He's built I, different. I, he is, and I, I think to your point, you're right because there are things that that he has to to learn at the NFL level just because just because he hasn't done them at the college level, but I don't think it's a he can't do them. I think it's it's a he needs the experience doing them, and so early on, I think he's a guy. Look, man, I forget about what is what is forty times going to say. He's a heck of a kickoff returner. Yeah, and so I I think he's one of those where when he gets up ahead of steam, you know, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna outrun guys based on his speed, but he's gonna make a couple of moves. One like that first cut, and he's gonna leave guys grasping, and he's gonna be really hard to bring down. So I see him as a. An immediate kickoff return guy. If you need that in your system, and you don't, you don't care that he's not going to be the, uh, you know, the guy, the Cordell Patterson type. Mm-hmm. He's not that, but he's a guy who's going to get you, get you the ball to the thirty, thirty-five yard line, right? Uh, if and when he takes it out, and then he's a guy that that look, if you don't need him to stay back and pass pro early on, and you're just going to let him carry the football and do what he does, he's going to contribute. So I, I'm very high on him.
0: And we're certainly going to be rooting for him because he's from here. He went to American Heritage right here in Plantation. He was built in Broward County. We're going to be rooting for our Broward boys anywhere we go. Uh, Now, aside from Herbert, you got a potential first round pick in Christian Darisaw. And everyone is just focused on Pinesawell, 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 Pinesawell. Guys, (laughs) hello. There are other tackles in this class. You guys are missing Christian Derrissaw. This guy is absolutely massive.
1: And, and you know what? I, I love Slater, too, from, from Northwestern. I'm sure you've gone on, gone a bit on him before. But the thing about Derrissaw, and again, I mentioned this as far as Tech's recruiting. Uh, when, he, when he committed to Tech, Tech stole him. I put that in air quotes. They stole him from Delaware State. And fans were furious. They're like, why can't we get an offensive lineman that has better offers than Central Connecticut State and Delaware State? Because those were <laughs> only two offers. And and, and I'll admit, I, I read the message boards, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let me let me see for myself. And I actually and, – and by no means am I a film. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know how to break down film, like like guys who are really good at it. But I watched his high school highlight. I was like, wait a minute. Like, what am I missing here? Why does this guy only have two offers? Like, he just – he had the size, and I was surprised at how how refined his technique was for somebody who only had those offers. And, and he so improved then, year
0: in and year out, too,
1: yes. at Virginia Tech. And and he wasn't even viewed as a first-round pick heading, uh, even, even potentially being a first-round pick heading this year. Like, if you go back and look at all the the 2019 potentially draft, some of these sites, even Tech sites, you won't even find him listed. Um but I think what, first off, the premium at the position is, is so high. And so you look for guys that have the traits. And the thing about Derisaw is, man, the consistency. Um, and, and I think it's something, and Vance Weiss deserves a ton of credit for this at Tech too. He's done a really good job coaching up the guys that they have. But Derisaw was somebody who you weren't going to outwork him. And he's somebody who understood the importance of the technique. Um, and I, I actually think that he could play left or right. I know a mm-hmm. lot of people have kind of said he, he's probably going to be best at right. And I could probably see that. And yet, I think he's someone who you could put him on, on either side and he could do very, very well that you could plug him there. and He's going to play for a decade.
0: Yeah, he can be he can run block. He, he can pass block his best fit. Is the zone run scheme, as he can consistently get to the second level and wipe yep. out defenders at the same time. Now, when we talk about defenders, there's two other guys in Divine Diablo and Caleb Farley. You got to tell me, I, I didn't really watch a lot of Virginia Tech games this season. I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't caught up to their defense either. Caleb Farley sat out the this season due to the pandemic, and Diablo played in the senior bowl and he showcased his talents. Do you see Farley being, you know, one of the few cornerbacks, you know, as not as deep as his class is? Do you think he has a shot being a first-rounder?
1: Oh, I do. I do. And I I, it, I I, would be surprised if he fell out of the top 10 based on what I've seen. Really? And, and from people I've talked to. I just feel like especially once – and we'll see how this all shakes out when it comes to individual workouts and things. But – when you put on the film for him, you're going to see somebody who had hadn't played the position before playing it. At attack. he was a quarterback in high school and when they got him on campus, initially they wanted him as a receiver because That's he had, right. he had really good hands. Um, and he was great. Six two. Yeah. Yeah. And he was great. Not only with his, with his cuts, but also he had long speed. Um, and then they tried him at a couple of different places and then he tore his ACL and then they bring him mm-hmm. back and, and they immediately put him at corner and, and fans were unhappy. They felt like he was only put at corner because they were lacking people at the position. They had had a couple of recruiting misses. Um, and, and they were so high, high on him as a receiver that it was, it was not met with a lot of, as you can tell, tech fans don't get happy about a lot these days. Um <laughs> so when they, when they moved to the corner, it was met with some skepticism that, oh, we're just doing this because we're lacking good players at the position. You're moving your best athlete over there and, and hoping and praying. And then he went out there and blew you away. And you That's saw right. very, very quickly why. And yeah. it, when you watch him as that season went on, the 2019 season, he got better and better and better with his technique. The learning the nuances of the position which he still has a ways to go by the way um but he grew so much that season and then he had to sit out the UVA game and you could tell he just like they they missed him so much and and then this year the pass defense was atrocious cuz you know you're missing your two best players in that in the cornerback room between him and Jermaine Waller and so i think it's all of that to say he grew in the position he can still get a lot better and yet, I think when 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 coaches are able to work with him, whether it's via Zoom, whether they're able to go to practice, however these pro days are going to shake out, they're going to see a freak athlete, and they're going to see a guy who is just humble, uh, takes to coaching very, very well. People are going to fall in love with him, both his physical ability and also his mental makeup, and they're going to pop on the film. And so I... At this point, I'd be surprised to beat a lot of the top 10.
0: Hey, man, if scouts are listening to this right now, they're probably writing down notes. You're advocating for him right now, and his stock's probably going up. Now, before we wrap up, I want, to, I want I want. a simple answer for you for Divine Diablo. I see flashes of Eric Rowe in him, even though he's much taller at six foot three and 220 pounds. Do you think that the way he played at the Senior Bowl and the way he played at Virginia Tech – do you think he starts off as a corner to get a little bit better at the ball hawking abilities and then transfer
1: back to safety in the my concern, My concern with him is, does he have the hips and does he have mm-hmm. the the ability to turn? Um, and Because the thing with, with Diablo is he's phenomenal going downhill. Super smart player. Uh, he can recognize things very well. The problem comes in when he comes up into the box and then quickly he has to turn and You know, you're going to be guarding guys in the NFL that have college receiver speed, but tight end size, if you're going to play that position. Um, So my concern with him, if you're going to put him at corner is, uh, I want to see if he can backpedal like a corner. I want to see if he can turn and run with, heck, forget receivers. Can he turn and run with tight ends? Because that's something that he had trouble with at Tech. Um, You know, so – just so I don't sound like I'm pumping up all of these guys. I, I, I feel like Farley is a guy who's going to go top 10. I think Dara saw as somebody who like, if the dolphins were to take him at 18, I, I think that would be a, a great fit. I think it would be good value for him. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a first round guy. Um, Herbert, I think is a guy that you probably see go third day and, and maybe late second day, but probably third day. And, I think somebody's going to be really glad that they took him. Diablo's a guy who I think is is probably still going to be in that third day and and I think you're going to have to have the right vision for him. And and you know may, maybe it's one of those things where they look at it and they say okay, we saw the flashes where he was able to turn a couple of times and we as coaches know how to get that out of him consistent consistently. My concern is that it's something that he won't be able to do consistently. So your vision for him is going to have to be more special teams, deep right. safety with the ability to break downhill, and somebody that you can protect a little bit from having to turn and run with your your quicker players.
0: Right. And it's going to be up to all of these coaching staffs who develop these players regardless of who you are, what you do, and what scheme you used to play. in. Clay, the former Hokie and the, and the Virginia Tech alumni, Thank you so much for coming on to the pod. And I just want to say one thing. Chiefs or Bucks in the Super Bowl? Chiefs. Chiefs. Chiefs.
1: And, and I, I think my the only way Kansas City loses this game is if their offensive line just gets destroyed. And, yep. and I, I, I don't know that that's that, – that could be very possible given the injuries that they're facing um, and, and how well the Bucks defensive line is played – if Jason Pierre-Paul and uh, and Shaq Barrett go out there and do what they've done in these playoffs, and and Damacon Sue plays like he did in that game in New Orleans, Kansas City could have some problems. I just feel like man, Mahomes is playing a different ball game than everybody else, and and Tampa Bay's weakness on defense is on the back end when you get the quicker, faster guys that can go deep. Um, and and man, I I just have a from a Tampa Bay perspective, I don't know I don't know how you cover I don't know how you cover Tyreek Hill. I mean he already burned you repeatedly in the first matchup, but having to to check him plus McCole Hardiman, looks like Watkins is going to be able to play and Travis Kell. I mean like I don't know how you guard don't all forget of about Le'Veon
0: guys. Bell either. Le'Veon man.
1: Bell, I mean Clyde Edwards Alaire looks like he's getting healthier again. I mean I don't know how you contain all of those guys and keep Mahomes from beating you you deep when that's already your weakness. Well, we'll be having a special Finn Maniacs Super Bowl preview pod
0: coming up soon. And as always, Finn Maniacs listeners, thank you so much for listening. Clay Ferraro, everybody, as always, guys, fins up.